0: One three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: Welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're part of it tonight. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, May 17th. We're live, and we're glad that you've taken time out of your Thursday evening to join us. You can participate in the program tonight by calling 931-381-4567 or by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We hope you'll be preparing to join in on the discussion as this is a listener interactive program. And we encourage you to join in on the discussion so we can all benefit from your participation tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My
2: father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you on Thursday night for the virtual Bible study.
1: And, Dad, we do mention this is a listener interactive program. Tonight is especially interactive. We're going to be looking at just various questions that uh, people might have about the Bible. So we encourage
2: our listeners to contribute with their questions. Sort of an open forum to deal with questions that people might have had on their mind maybe something that you've always wondered about and never never really had a bible answer for it we're not guaranteeing that we can answer all all questions but we're willing to throw them out there and see if people have input to some some things that people are sometimes curious about you know th- there are a lot of questions Jacob that the bible sort of leaves hanging doesn't give us uh, all the information Some of them uh, are, you know, are talked about pretty often, for instance, in Bible classes, like uh, who wrote the book of Hebrews? You know, we can speculate about that and we can make some predictions or guesses. But I think bottom line through the centuries, everybody's pretty well had to conclude that we don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews or or another question that people always like to talk about. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh that he mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven? Oh, we just don't know, and we can't say for sure. We can offer some speculations again, but we don't know for sure. So there's, there's questions like that. There's a whole lot of other questions that, you know, maybe we would have liked to have known. Um, what about Jesus? Uh, we don't know anything about him from birth to age 12. We read in Luke 2 a little bit about some things that happened when he was 12 years old, but then from 12 years old on until age 30, We don't know anything about him. We don't know about what happened, any of the details of life. We might have liked to know. The Bible doesn't answer all those kinds of questions. There's even more, maybe obscure things that people might question. For instance, in Matthew 27, you remember the episode where Pilate's wife had a dream and warned Pilate not to have anything to do with Jesus because he was an innocent man? Wouldn't it have been interesting to know some details about Pilate and his wife and that dream that she had just not supplied even other famous fairly famous bible characters whatever happened to the woman at the well in john 4 what did the ethiopian eunuch do when he got back home after he was baptized in acts chapter 8 Uh, what became of the of joseph the husband of mary we don't read after jake after jesus was age 12 we don't ever read anymore about joseph what became of him did he die at a fairly young age did he forsake God? leave his family? What happened to Joseph? Um, uh, just all kinds of questions like that what Think about the men who were leading Saul of Tarsus? They were with him when Jesus appeared on the road to Damascus and they had to lead him by hand into the city of Damascus. Wonder what they were thinking when all that was taking place, and Do you suppose any of them became believers? Uh, just all kinds of questions like that that people might ask from the scriptures uh we'd be glad for you to throw out some questions like that that maybe are intriguing to you that possibly we don't have all the bible answers um the thing that we do have to know about bible questions is all the information that god ever supplied is contained in our bible and if it's not there, we're searching in vain for an answer.
1: Well, and I think we have to be careful, Dad, because when we go searching for answers to those questions that aren't in the Bible, a lot of people have their faith shaken if they come across an answer or uh, something about the Bible that they wonder that's not revealed within the Scriptures. Sometimes their faith is shaken and, you know, Dad, when we worry about those things that aren't revealed in the Scriptures, we really are indicting God, saying that God didn't provide us with what we needed to know, that there's some information that God left out of the Bible, and we're here just struggling along and not going to be able to make it until we can find the answer to some of
2: those questions. Uh, that, and that's just definitely not the case. And we've got to stress that, that the Bible contains everything God has given and everything that we need to know 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If it's a good work and you need to be doing it, it's, we read about it in the Bible.
1: You know, so when we get hung up on these questions that can't be answered from the Bible, Dad, we really are wasting our time because if we don't know the answer to the questions, we didn't need to know the question to begin with.
2: That's the key. I mean, all of those kind of things that I was mentioning earlier, and I just sort of touched the hem of the garment. Then you You can think of hundreds of other things, curiosities that might be interesting to know. We might have been intrigued to know about them. But they're clearly not essential to our salvation or God would have revealed them to us. That's right. In second Peter chapter one, verse three. Second Peter one verse three says his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness to acknowledge him that called us to glory and virtue. And so we've got all the information that we need. But again, our program tonight is designed to sort of Throw out questions, maybe some of those curiosities that you had wondered about. Let us know what you think along those lines. Have, have you got questions that you always wondered about? Again, we're not promising an answer because the only answers that we can give are the ones that are in the Word of God. And if they're not there, we won't be able to give them. But if you've got some of those kind of curious thoughts, curious questions in your minds uh, about some Bible details, uh, let us know what you think along those lines. We've got a couple of things that we're going to throw out later uh, And we might just uh, mention a couple of things that have been brought to our attention. One of them was about near-death experiences. We want to talk about that a little later in the program. Jacob, that fellow that we had on the program last week, Kenneth G. from Nashville, Tennessee, who proclaims himself a prophet, said he had a near-death experience and caused him to have certain uh, information uh, that was revealed to him through that process what about near-death experiences that's something that a lot of people have questions about we might talk about that for a while and then another question that has been brought up uh, repeatedly is the question of praying to jesus should we pray to jesus can we or should we pray to jesus we want to talk about that maybe later or any other question that our listeners might have if you've got some question on your mind uh let us know That's right. Uh, It is an open discussion tonight. You can
1: ask any question. It doesn't have to be related to what we've talked about so far. Let us know if you have a Bible question at 931-381-4567. Send us an email to questions at com. We'll remind you, you can remain anonymous. If you'd like to remain anonymous in the discussion tonight, or you can give us your name on the phone or over email. Just participate in the discussion. We'd benefit from your questions or your comments tonight. You know, Dad, we do have to be careful as we talk about Bible subjects that we don't stray away from what the Scriptures have revealed and get into those areas that God has said nothing about. Uh, There is no profit in there uh, straying away from what the Scriptures have revealed. God has given us everything that we need to know, and so we need to have confidence and faith in that, that if it's not in the Bible, we just don't need to know about it.
2: You know, there's there's actually an inspired admission to the fact that not everything that ever happened, uh, even in the life of Jesus, for instance, as recorded in the Bible. John chapter 21, verse 25 says, there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they could, should be written. Every one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So John, at the end of his gospel account, says there's lots of other things that happen that are not written here. So, I mean, that's an admission that we don't have all of that information for sure. That's exactly right. But the assertion is that we
1: have everything that we need to know it says there in John chapter 20 verse 30 and 31 that in many signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so while we could take up, uh, the earth's oceans with, uh, ink trying to write the things that God that Jesus did while he was here on the earth we don 't need to do that because the things that have been revealed in the concise Gospels are enough. they have everything that we need to know to have faith in
2: Christ. you know um, I actually think that uh, that the sort of the brevity of the gospel accounts even about the life of Jesus even concerning his Crucifixion and all the torture that he endured and so forth. The the brevity, that kind of style, to me is is sort of a subtle sign of inspiration. Jacob, I don't know if our listeners have ever thought of it that way, but you know if the Bible had been written by mere mortal men using their own uh, literary skills and so forth, you've got to believe that they would have embellished some of those stories a lot more and tried to have supplied more and more detail. Uh The fact that it's not there and it's stated very concisely uh is to me a sign that this is not typical of what men on their own would have written. It's a sign that God was in the process.
1: You know, back when computers were new and uh, were not as common as they are now, when we didn't have the Internet where you could go out and get your manuals. Dad, do you remember when you used to buy a computer program, how it came with an instruction manual that was thicker than your Bible, just on how to operate one program? Yet God has revealed instructions for us on how to operate our lives, and it's concise, certainly shows the divine origin of the Bible. I think
2: so, exactly. The... uh, the thing of it is, it keeps us searching the you know again, how many people do we know who have devoted their lives to studying the Bible and yet they still study and still come across new bits of information that they hadn't garnered before uh, the, the The very style of the Bible, the way it's written keeps us studying and searching Of course, Jesus said there was a blessing in that in matthew five six he said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We need to have that hungering for Bible knowledge and keep searching and seeking. But we've got to finally admit, Jacob, in a verse I think that many of our listeners are probably familiar with is Deuteronomy twenty-nine, twenty-nine, which says that the secret things belong to God. Note, it says the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Um, so. The essential things, again, as you've mentioned a couple times, Jacob, are there in the Bible, and we've got to be satisfied with that information, and and content to live by it. One thing that one thing that I've always thought might be uh, uh, one of the appeals of of uh, going to heaven is that in eternity we'll have the opportunity to know all the things that were not written in the book either i don't know uh, whether we'd be able to ask and get answers or whether we'll just know already but in eternity you know those th- those kind of things that we might wonder about will be resolved
1: and we'll have the time to talk about them and, and to talk and to learn about them we don't have that much time here dad on the earth we ought to spend our time in what the bible has revealed so we can have a better understanding of that instead of getting off in these areas that we have no revelation about
2: yeah uh again i think we got to Got to be content with the scripture and not get hung up on information that's not there. Because if we accept the Bible to be the product of God's inspiration, then we acknowledge that in his wisdom, he knew what we needed. He knew, to, he knew the information that needed to be given. And he knew... He knew the information that needed to be preserved. And we have confidence that in his providence, he caused this information to be preserved. We know that there were other things written, even in the first century, even by inspired apostles. For instance, in 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions an earlier epistle that he had written to the Corinthians. It's not preserved for us, but there's a clear indication that other things were written uh, but in God's providence, he did not see fit to preserve those things for us. But notice in First Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 23, beginning, Peter said, "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever." And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Notice, Peter had all confidence that the word of God was going to survive, prevail. And we believe that in God's providence, he caused that to happen. So the information we have today that has been, by God's providence, preserved for us is all of that critical information we need. Colossians chapter 4, verse 16 mentions another one that uh,
1: is perhaps open for discussion. Colossians four sixteen. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it to be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. You know, some questions about what that could be. Potentially, Dad, another uh,
2: letter that we don't have. You know, and again, that's one of those questions. What was that? What was that letter of the Laodiceans? Some people think it might have been the Ephesian letter, uh, but you can prove that. And so there's a question hanging that we don't have the answer to. But again, We've got to be content that we have the necessary information. That we could get worked up and we could be worried that maybe there's an instruction
1: there in one of those letters that we don't have that we needed. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people, Dad, in the past who have been worked up and concerned about that. But we have to have faith in God's promise that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness.
2: That's exactly right. Uh, what are you thinking as you're listening to us tonight? You got some questions in your mind, some things you've wondered about, either a doctrinal question or maybe just something you find kind of curious uh, that you'd like to share. Uh, you know, a uh, wonder, what about this or that? Uh, share that with us. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com dot com or give us a phone call nine three one three eight one. 4567. It may not be a question that's originated with you. Maybe you've been discussing the
1: Bible with someone lately and they've posed a question to you. Maybe you answered the question but you think it might be beneficial for our discussion tonight or maybe you didn't really know the answer to that question. Why not uh, throw it out for our audience tonight and perhaps someone who's listening might have an answer for you. Give us a call at 931-381-4567 or send us an email to questions at com. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back after this.
0: Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement.
2: us in his word we realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps as a result what we think or feel doesn't really matter all that matters is what god has said so that's what the virtual bible study is all about it's pretty simple isn't it thanks again for joining us tonight and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every thursday night for the virtual bible study
3: hi my name is troy smith i'm 12 years old and i love to listen to the virtual bible study
0: and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians three, seventeen. Now back to the program.
1: Welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study Tonight. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your participation in the program. Hopefully we're looking forward to hearing from you. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com or send us an email. Or uh, give us a call at 931-381-4567. If you're just joining us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're looking at various topics. We really have an open discussion. If you have any Bible question or comment, tonight's your night. You can ask any Bible question or comment any night that the Virtual Bible Study is live. But especially tonight, as we have somewhat of an open discussion, we're talking about different questions about the Bible. And we've mentioned, we need to reiterate, Dad, that everything that we need is revealed within the Bible. We don't have any question that it cannot be answered that we needed to know the answer to. Uh, All that we need has been revealed within the pages of the Bible. And so, if you have any questions about what the Bible teaches or any question about how we should live our lives. We'll look to the Bible tonight and see if we can find the answer. If the Bible's, the answer is not in the Bible, then we can conclude that we don't need to know the answer because God has given us everything that we need to pertain to life and godliness.
2: We've got an email from Don and he sends in one of those kind of questions like just wondered what. I wondered, he says, about the significance of the lion and the ass standing by the carcass in 1 Kings 13. You remember that episode in 1 Kings 13? where the young prophet went and uh, and rebuked Jeroboam who had built, who had built false idols and he was instructed not to to stay not to eat or drink while he was uh, in uh, the northern kingdom but to leave and leave by a different route than he'd come and as he left an older prophet called him back lied actually lied and said i've received a message from god that you should come to my house and eat with me and the young prophet did what the older prophet told him to do, and, and it was revealed that, that, of course, this was a lie, and that, and as that young prophet went home, he was, he was killed on the way, and in 1 Kings chapter 13, it describes that situation, Um down in verse 24, I think is the Yeah, what is it? Verse 24, as he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast away, and the ass stood by it, the lion also stood by the carcass. It, which is really odd, you would think, you know, that the lion, if he's already killed the man, would go ahead and kill the, kill his beast as well, but he didn't, and they stood there apparently uh, without contention between the two animals. uh was, that, was there some intended sign in that? The scripture doesn't say, you know, and... It, it may simply indicate that the miraculous nature of the fact that that this lion was sent to fulfill what God promised was going to happen, if you know, in in, in way of punishment for that disobedience. Yeah, you know,
1: it's, it's a miraculous thing for a lion to stand there beside uh, beside a donkey. That's in itself is miraculous, and so those who would pass by, seeing the lion standing there, you know, not running off or not to, uh, trying to to eat the the donkey. Um, could have, perhaps indicate that uh, you know that god had been involved in that maybe that was a sign to those who passed by
2: interesting question don and again we're just speculating all, all we could only thing we could possibly do there was speculate but that might be part of the reason why interesting question thanks for listening to the virtual bible study tonight don um let's go to this question that i suggested earlier jacob about near-death experiences last week we had uh Kenneth G., a self-proclaimed prophet out of Nashville, who told us he'd had a near-death experience and received revelation in the process. And so I, was in the past, had done some studying about near-death experiences. And um, there was some information in a book called Life After Life by Raymond Moody and Elizabeth Ross, who researched 150 cases of people who claimed to have had near-death experiences. There were 15 recurring components among those 150 people who claimed that they had that those kind of experiences. There were 15 recurring experiences. And of all 150 cases, each of those people had at least eight of the 15 recurring ex, uh, components in those experiences. And in every instance, the experience was happy, joyful, and comforting. Now what's interesting, among those 150 some were Christian, some were Jewish, some were Buddhist, some were Muslims, but they all related having a happy, joyful, and comforting experience. Now, what that tells you is, if we if, if we believe the truth that, for instance, the Jews who reject Jesus, the Buddhist who don't even believe in Jehovah God, and so forth, if if they all claim to to receive happy, joyful, comforting experiences then that can't be that they're experiencing something from God in that near-death phase. It has, there has to be some other uh, explanation. It can't be that they're receiving revelation from God in the process of these near-death experiences, or else uh, why would Christians, Jews, Buddhists, and Muslims all have that similarity? That's exactly right.
1: Uh, if they're, uh, if it's some type of forewarning of their of imminent uh, position after this life is over, why would they all have the same experience? We're going to go to the phones, and we're going to go up to Orleans, Indiana, and welcome Mike to the Pro- virtual Bible study. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the
4: program. Fine. Uh, thank you very much. Um, thanks for having me on. See, I really don't mean to throw you guys, but I've got kind of an unusual question. Someone asked me this, and uh, I have some thoughts on it, but... Uh, I told them I'd get back to them, and I just thought I'd throw this out there for you guys tonight and see what you what you thought about this. Uh, but somebody somebody asked me the question: Can there be secret or unknown sins in a person's life that would condemn someone at the judgment? Uh, that, that, you know, sins that they don't know anything at all about, and what they were referring to is Psalm 19, and verse 12. Uh, they read from the New Century Version, so I'll read that to you. And it simply said, um, "People cannot see." their own mistakes forgive me for my secret sins all right what do you guys think about that
2: well um i I, that is an interesting question uh i was trying to think of i put you on the spot well well, i was i was trying to think of another passage where where david also in the Psalms said cleanse thou me of secret sins uh, and, and I, I'm not finding it. I'm looking here quickly, but I'm not finding that exact wording. I um, uh, just don't know where it. Uh, the, the idea the, that question has been asked. You know, is it possible that I could be committed? Is this what you're asking? Psalm guess? 19, verse 12, at least, what you want? Who well, that's the one cause... that Mike just read. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um,
4: well, there, there's Psalm 90 and verse 8. That's not uh, not a, you know. it's not pertaining to the same thing. Uh, but this says you have put the evil we have done right in front of you you see clearly our secret sins i mean that that refers to secret sins
2: well i think Um, i think the i think the verse you first cited is the one i'm thinking about in psalm 19 verse 12 who can understand his errors cleanse thou me from secret faults um a couple of things that i've thought of along this line one thing is I think it's a mistake to imagine that the law of the lord is so difficult to comprehend that we could be out here violating it unknowingly in other words there, there it's you know it's it's such a intricate complicated law there's so many intricacies of it there there's there's so many little uh side notes and sidebars and and uh, little qualifications that we just can't you know it, we, in a lifetime we can't study and comprehend and come to a knowledge of it we're we're going to be committing sins and not knowing it that's the way some people represent it and i i just don't think that's the case we know that that we are told that we can understand god's will in in the book of ephesians in in chapter 3 uh paul said uh, I have written by revelation he made known to me the mystery uh this is ephesians three three by revelation he made known to me the mysteries i wrote before in few words whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of christ uh so he said you can I wrote it you can read it you can understand it later in the same epistle in uh chapter five he said uh uh Verse seventeen: Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So we're actually commanded to understand. So I, I just simply don't accept the premise that the 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 law of God is of such nature that we can't understand it and and are incapable of under of you know of knowing when we violated His will. That being the case, I, I take this statement here in Psalms nineteen verse twelve. Who can understand his errors? cleanse thou me from secret faults? Uh, I take that to be sort of a, a prayer for knowledge for him to understand God's will and then to see his faults and correct them. In other words, you could take that you could take that statement two ways. One way would be, well, God just take care of my secret sins. I don't know about them. I never will discover them. You just take care of them for me. That'd, that'd be one possibility, which I don't think is harmonious with what the scriptures teach. The other possibility of that verse is that, that the psalmist is saying, let me understand, help me to understand your will, and therefore discover my sins so that I can repent of them and seek forgiveness as I ought to do. And I think that's, I think that's the explanation that's more in line with everything else the Bible says on the subject.
4: Sure well that that's kind of the direction that I was leaning and uh i guess i just wanted to hear someone else's take on it and to make myself feel a little bit better on this
2: well it seems to me that's the that that's what works best because the the other alternative is is just not uh compatible with what we understand about god uh, his loving nature and the fact that that uh, you know he desires our salvation and and so he's he's not going to put out there a law that we can't understand and 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 can't know when we violate it you know if your secret sins
1: were automatically forgiven it seems like i would be better off to live a life of ignorance Uh, my sins would automatically be taken care of um you know why would i want to know god's commands because then i would potentially uh be in a position where my sin wouldn't be uh, forgiven.
4: Well, yeah, I think there's a couple of ways to look at that, too. Um, I wasn't exactly sure how to take the question. And, I, and I, you know, kind of the other way that I approached that, I, I said, the, a sim, you know, I, I've kind of got some notes down that I'm going to approach it that way, like what you said. And also, uh, you know, but there's also the attitude that ignorance is not an excuse. I mean, we've also got the, the responsibility to, you know, seek out, our own, you know, to search out our own salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. So, you know, just because I'm ignorant about things does not give me the excuse, you know, uh, people that are lost in some of these false beliefs that exist in the world, their ignorance is an excuse for for what they do. Uh, They're still going to be held accountable for this, you know, they're still amenable to the law of
2: christ right if if ignorance was an excuse then the best thing that we could do is just shut up and stop teaching (laughs) the word of god and let people continue in their ignorance because once we teach them then they become obligated to obey whereas if we hadn't taught them they could they could be saved in their ignorance and that of course just doesn't work Sure. sure so i think those are all good things to throw in the mix there that's a tough question you're dealing with mike but i think those are all things that go together in the in the answer
4: well, I appreciate you helping me out on that. And uh, can I ask you one one more thing? Someone else, sure. has, Uh Would you guys uh, happen to know of anybody who's written uh, specifically? I've I've got a fella who uh, I'm going to study with here soon, and uh, he takes some really unusual uh, stands on some issues. I've got quite a few notes jotted down already for myself, but uh, have you ever? maybe you would have some thoughts that I hadn't thought of yet, and uh, also maybe you'd know of some writings, you know, by conservative brethren somewhere, you know, that would be good. Um, he doesn't believe that the, uh, you know, he's one of these that doesn't believe in the uh, the church has the right to own or, or rent a church building, and he also he also takes one that I had not heard of prior to this, and that is that he takes the stand that, you know, uh, the church does not have the right to, to take up a, a collection on the first day of the week.
2: Well, those are those are questions that I have dealt with through the years too. Uh, um, in fact, i've I've taught I've taught sermons in the past on both those topics. You know, the, the authority for a church building and the authority for a treasury. And I think the scriptures would support both. I, the basic answer on the church building question is: I mean, we first acknowledge that. There's no place in the New Testament that says you shall have a church building. You shall own or rent a church building. But what we do see is we see brethren meeting in a variety of different settings, some in public facilities, some in private homes. And the fact that there's no consistency there indicates that there was no uh, single authorized place for Christians to assemble together. Sure. The the command to assemble in Hebrews 10.25 infers the necessity of a place to do it. And so, you know, necessary inference is clearly a form of uh, uh, Bible authority, and there, there is there is an inescapable conclusion in the fact that Christians are commanded to assemble, that there must be a place for such assemblies to occur. Sure. And and again, you know, there, there's a movement, uh, even a modern movement, uh, that some people refer to as the home church movement, where certain brethren are saying, We ought to be meeting in private homes. Well, you can meet in private homes. We know Christians of the first century did meet in, in private homes, but that's not the only place they met. Right. Uh, for instance, the first congregation of God's people in Jerusalem met on the temple grounds. That was a public facility, open to all. And so I, uh, there's just no unique ex, uh, example, there's no specific authority that limits one type of facility for public assemblies, and therefore we are to employ our judgment, this would become an expediency. And and we are to in, in matters of general authority where expediency is allowed, we're to use our judgment to make the best choice, uh, and that may vary from time and place. But we have that authority to do it. And then on the, on the question of the of the treasury, uh, I think First Corinthians chapter sixteen indicates First. that there was a, a gathering of the money, a holding in common of money for the purpose of sending to needy you saints. you hear what in, they just in,
1: said?
0: Call in during this break and, well, and let everyone I know what it, you think. Uh, the that's that's virtual the It's time
1: for us to take a break. No. <laughs> uh, go I, ahead.
2: Think, I think it is time for us to take a break. Real quickly, but 1 Corinthians 16 uh, tells us that uh, they, they did make a contribution into a common fund. In that case, it was to send relief to the needy brethren in Judea or Jerusalem. Uh-huh. But what it does is that it shows the pattern by which the church funds any authorized work. That was a benevolent work, but we know the church is authorized to do evangelistic work, for instance. And First and Corinthians 16 establishes the pattern for doing any authorized work. There's always a need for evangelism, therefore there's always the need to con- uh, contribute. Collectively uh, into a fund to accomplish that work, so that's the argument I would use on that
4: okay yeah I've got quite a few of those notes jotted down already, but I appreciate you, uh, you answering that for me. Um, you know there's several questions that I'm going to have for this individual i mean there's there's a problem with his his, his theory because you know of course, if we have the precedent that's already set, you know what would be wrong for us to continue to do so? For you know, whenever the needs arise, kind of like what you said. Also, there's a lot of things, like you said, evangelism, or you know, we know in the in the Bible that uh, preachers or uh, even elders at times can receive wages for their for their hire. Um, right. You know, my question is. Where does that money come from if the church isn't authorized
2: to have a... That's exactly right. And that's, why I, that's that's the point I was trying to make there about 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16 is a work of benevolence, but it sets the pattern for how the church gets its funds to do any authorized work. And if, if it's a work of evangelism, then it still tells us how do we get the money to do a work of evangelism. Sure, sure. Good questions, Mike. Okay, well, thank you very much. Appreciate I, I you listening appreciate up there in Orleans, Indiana. All right, thank you. Thank
1: you for your call. Yep, goodbye. All right, the number calls call is 931-381-4567. It's starting again. Tom, Boy, lately. I tell you what, they want us to take a break. 931-381-4567. Email us questions at collegeview.com. We'll get back. We'll continue the discussion. Any Bible question, or comments, fair game tonight. Give us a call or send us an email. We'll be right back.
0: Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again.
1: Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard.
0: You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that television magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN.
2: I'm Greg Gwyn, reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others' sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 128. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny.
3: Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13 and this is the Virtual Bible Study.
0: Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and
1: the Virtual Bible Study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're listening. We hope you'll participate in the discussion at 931-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about various Bible questions. We believe that the Bible has all the information we need in order to be pleasing to God, that the answers are in there if God wanted us to know about it. And if we need to know about it in order to be pleasing to him, the answers are in the Bible. So we're looking forward to your questions or comments. Again, the number to call is 931-381-4567. The line is open. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the phone.
2: Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Jake, we got an email from Mike in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, Mike, we're glad you're listening tonight. And he asked, where does the soul of a faithful Christian go upon his or her death? He references Luke 23:43. Jesus told one of the thieves who was crucified with him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. The thief went to the Hadean realm of paradise and not to heaven. But in Acts 1, verse 9, Luke records uh, that after his resurrection, Jesus ascended, quote, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Apparently Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Philippians 1, Paul recorded having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better, uh, he says, please comment, um, on the Bible teaching regarding where the soul of a faithful Christian goes upon his or her death. Does the soul go directly to heaven or to the Hadean realm of paradise? Uh, he says, this doesn't affect our salvation, which is true, but it is an important question. I think the Bible gives us some information on that. I think so too. And, uh, uh, Mike has presented a couple verses that people will use to show
1: that, uh, we go directly to heaven when we die or at least in an effort to show that, but I believe, Dad, the Scriptures show overwhelm- overwhelmingly that uh, we will be in the Hadean realm until the world comes to an end, Christ returns, and then we will raise to be with Christ and then we will go with him to heaven. You know, Paul later on uh, in in our Bible chronology, or is found in the in the Bible, the way it's organized here in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen, talking about Christ's return. Paul says, "For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord." see at that point dad in first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 beginning we see that it is at the point of christ's return that the dead in christ and those
2: who are living join christ and spend an eternity with him and john chapter 5 uh, verse 28 jesus said the hour is coming in that w- in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation so jesus talked about a future resurrection of all the dead, the, the righteous and the wicked, and and the, then the eternal reward for each. Uh, so I think those verses would argue that when people die today, based upon their life, really their eternal destiny is certainly sealed and can't be changed. In Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, when Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, paradise, to be comforted, but the rich man went to torment. Uh, there was a great gulf fixed between them. Abraham said, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And so uh, Abraham uh, clearly indicated that the, the, the eternal destiny is is, uh, is set and even in the Hadean world people can't go from paradise to torment or or torment to paradise it's it's a it's a determined thing based upon how they'd lived their lives but that appears to the Hadean world appears to be a waiting place a, a place of departed spirits where they wait the final resurrection and then the eternal reward of heaven or hell uh, To me, that's what the scriptures are teaching by putting those verses together Now, what about Philippians chapter
1: one verse twenty three Was there an exception made for Paul, or did uh, Paul actually indicate that when we die, we go? To be a Christ, he said in Philippians 1.23, having a desire
2: to depart and be with Christ, which is very
1: much better.
2: What about that? Well, I think that that expression can be understood in the generic sense. You know, Jesus has has left this life to go to the realm beyond. And that, in and basically, I think we could take Paul's words to be just sort of generically meaning to leave this world behind and go on to the next. Or it could be the ultimate
1: destination that is, uh, the, you know, our destination after death. The ultimate destination is to be with Christ. If we're faithful, perhaps Paul was just looking to that ultimate destination.
2: That's right. And that might be the case. Uh, but either way, I don't think that the, the expression necessarily proves against the idea of a of of the the realm of Hades paradise and torments within Hades is a place with two component place there's two components to Hades there's there's comfort or paradise there's torment uh and I think that sometimes we're confused in our King James readings especially because often uh the King James renders what should have been translated as Hades renders it as hell all right now there is a theory, Dad, that
1: uh, when Christ died, that uh, that no longer then do, does Hades
2: exist, that it has been done away with at Christ's
1: death. What about that? That people no longer go to Hades. What about
2: that? I've heard that. I don't know what verses are used to prove that, but I've heard that argued.
1: Well, it, it's clear, though, that uh, Hades is going to exist until Christ returns. And when Christ returns, Hades will be destroyed, along with death, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to his works. So, Dad, we see there, and then we go on in, Rome, in verse 14, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So we see Hades is going to
2: be around until that second coming of Christ. Exactly right. I think that's the verse that really proves that point, Jacob. I think uh, that that clearly ex- explains the current and ongoing uh existence of hades until the end
1: Uh all right the number to call is 931-381-4567 email address to use is questions at collegeview.com we're looking forward to hearing from you on the virtual bible study tonight any bible question or comment is fair game as we look at various questions
2: from the bible uh we've got a question from dan up in greenwood indiana dan we're glad you're listening tonight and he asked haven't heard from dan in a while good to hear from him tonight uh he says uh someone asked if heaven and hell are actual places or just states of consciousness um uh, I, I don't know that 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 may be a, a question that's tied up in the semantics of the question dan i'm just not sure but i believe that heaven and hell are real places it was kind of interesting that whenever there are polls taken the the vast majority of people i mean usually you 're looking at ninety five plus percent of people believe that there is a real literal heaven, but a lot lower percentage of people believe there's a real literal hell, but in matthew chapter twenty five really the whole last part of that chapter from verse thirty one clear through verse forty six won 't take time to read all of that, but Jesus sort of tells the or, or describes the judgment scene. And he speaks of some who would be rewarded, some who would be lost. Uh, He says concerning the lost, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. And the point that's been made from that verse, I think it's a good one, is that Hell is as real as heaven. If heaven is real and if it lasts forever, then hell is also just as real and will last just as long. Uh, you, you're going to have to accept the reality of both. There are a lot of people who want to, even some of our own brethren, who'd like to discount the reality of hell. But if you believe in heaven, you have to accept that there's also a hell. In fact, it's real interesting as you read in the New Testament... The the person who spoke the most about hell in all of the New Testament was Jesus himself. He made, by far and away, the majority of references to hell. Well,
1: you know, and maybe there's another angle to Dan's question here. Is it just state of consciousness? Well, it's not like this world. It's not like this earth that we live in. In First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Um, we are going to be changed dad in the new life in the new world. Uh, That's going to be a spiritual existence. And so it will be different than the physical existence that we have now.
2: Yeah. uh, I think Paul said there in first Corinthians 15, didn't he say that flesh and blood, let's see, uh, yeah, verse 50, 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty. Now this, I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Uh, behold, I show you, mister, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. John said in First John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is and so there's a change and it won't we won't we won't be in these same corruptible bodies uh but i think it's i guess i would say it's more than just a state of consciousness there we will have a, an immortal body in heaven or hell all right, so it's not just going to be a figment of our imagination. Yeah, I think that's right. All
1: right, thank you for your question, Dan, and for your comment tonight. Appreciate you listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Nine three one three eight one four five six seven is the email address or the telephone number to use. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. We'd like to hear from you on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're going to take one more break, and we'll go to the top of the hour. Get in with your questions or comments now. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this.
0: After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break.
3: Hello, everyone. I'm Brett Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew twelve, verse thirty four, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at nine thirty AM. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the Virtual Bible Study.
0: Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys.
1: Welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it, and we look forward to your questions or comments. Again, call 931-381-4567 or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We believe, Dad, the Bible has all things that pertain to life and godliness He has given us all things so that we can be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works that's in the Bible. And so we need to be in the Bible studying it so we can know how we ought to live.
2: Exactly right. Jacob, one of the questions that we suggested earlier uh, was the question of um, praying to Jesus, a question that comes up from time to time. We might talk about that for just a minute. You know, there are people who think that we could, should, uh, word our prayers directing them to Jesus. Then there are others, and I happen to be of the, of the conclusion that we ought to word our prayers to God the Father in the name of or through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me just give a couple of reasons why. We know when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray to the Father. In Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, beginning verse one, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So when he was specifically asked about praying, and when the disciples said, teach us how to do it, Jesus said, well, when you pray, say this, say, our Father, which art in heaven. So Jesus taught his disciples to pray to the Father. Um, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, we read the same thing. He said, when, uh, Matthew 6, beginning verse 6, When you pray, enter your closet. When thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father. After this manner, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so uh, that seems to be pretty conclusive to me. Jesus taught that's how you pray.
1: Well, in John chapter sixteen, verse twenty-three, Dad, maybe we have something different taught. Jesus said, "In that day, you, sh- you shall ask me nothing. Verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask in the Father, uh, ask the Father in my name. He will give it to you." we ask the Father in Jesus' name. Does that mean we can
2: pray to Jesus? Well, but again, you're asking the Father, and it's in the name of or by the authority of Jesus Christ. I believe that's what we do. We ask the Father, but we do it in the name of Christ. Christ gives us the authority to be able to do that.
1: In John chapter 16, verse 23, though, again, Jesus said, In that day you shall ask me nothing. Exactly right. So, so we the don't things ask... are
2: different than they were when Jesus was on the earth. Well, when Jesus was here on, in person... They could have asked him something in person. They could have inquired of him or asked him anything, but not not after he's gone, obviously. We also have, Jacob, we also have the inspired apostles instructing to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, several examples of that, for instance, Philippians 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgivings, let your requests be made known unto God. Uh, that's what paul taught that's what we should do
1: all right number nine three one three eight one four five six seven email questions at com. we're looking forward to your your questions and your comments tonight we're supposed to do things in the name of jesus colossians 317 and whatsoever we do in word or deed do all in the name of lord jesus giving thanks to god and the father by him through his authority dad is how we are to behave how we're to conduct ourselves
2: and again, the instructions of Jesus were to pray to the Father. Exactly right. We've got an email coming in from Wade along this same line. Uh, he asked, I, "He said, I've started studying this topic some, and even though I haven't seen any prayers to Jesus, the scripture says in Romans eight thirty Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So we do know that Jesus hears our prayers and makes intercession for us. Uh, I, I wouldn't have any. I wouldn't have di- any disagreement with that statement that Wade had made there. Uh, certainly, Jesus is Jesus is the divine Son of God. He's certainly aware of all the prayers that are prayed. It's not like you know he, he he's unaware. In fact, he is an inter- intercessor for us, as Romans eight thirty four says. 1 um, Timothy two five says he's a mediator, a mediator. So I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree that Jesus. Hears and knows of our prayers, but our, we're asking the question, should we pray to him or should we pray to the Father? And it seems to me that all the examples of scriptures, even the examples that we read of the apostles' own prayers was to the Father. Second Corinthians 2, verse 14, Paul said, Now thanks be to God. Which also causes us to triumph in Christ, Second Corinthians eight verse sixteen. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you, Second Corinthians nine fifteen. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift, Second Corinthians thirteen verse seven. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, and so you know what did the apostles do? Every every example we have of, of an apostle's worded prayer, we see it being to the Father. But now. Having said that, there's there's a couple of verses, Jacob, that are sometimes used as proof text to suggest that we can pray to the Father, I mean, I pray to Jesus. And the most common of those uh, where people say, here's an example of someone praying to Jesus is the example of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And we remember that Stephen was the first Christian martyr. And uh, it says in Acts chapter 7, beginning verse 55, But Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Well, you know, he says that he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. But notice in the context of this, this is a miraculous episode. And in the context of it, it says, Stephen said, I see the heavens open. I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, my my explanation of that is, and I don't mean to be frivolous about this, but my explanation of that is, if you see Jesus Stephen saw Jesus if you see Jesus by all means talk to him but short of having a miraculous vision like Stephen had which we don't believe people have today short of having a miraculous vision where you see Jesus then that doesn't pertain to you that doesn't pertain to me and so what we ought to do in our normal prayers is pray to the father in the name of the Lord Jesus All
1: right, so we've dealt with Acts chapter 7. Another one's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, where we read Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh that the messenger of Satan might buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that He might depart from me. And He said unto me, "My grace is sufficient for thee; my strength is made perfect in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glo- glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We see here, Dad, that Paul besought the Lord thrice. Was
2: Paul praying to Jesus? Well, you know that that would you would have to prove that the word Lord there in that text was talking about the Lord Jesus, the word Lord is also used to describe God the Father. And so that's inconclusive in my opinion. But that, again, is one of the verses that's sometimes used to justify praying to Jesus. But it's inconclusive to me. I don't think you could prove that the expression Lord there uh, necessarily means Jesus. It could be, uh, uh, the expression could be applied to the Father. I was in error there. The reference is Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 9.
1: Right. All right. What about First John five eleven through fifteen? And this is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this is life in His Son. These things have I written to you that you believe on um, that that believe on the name of the, the Son G, uh, of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if any if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us, and if we know that He heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions petitions we desired of Him.
2: What about that? Is it talking about praying to Jesus? Well, I think, again, if you took that passage apart grammatically, in other words, it says, He hears us, we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Who's the He who hears us and the the one who gives us the petitions that we desired of Him? Well, grammatically, if you take that passage apart, God, the Father, in verse 11, is the one who hears us and we have the petitions that we desired of Him. And again, so I think grammatically that text actually proves what we're saying is that we ought to pray to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. So again, I mean, just kind of putting that all together, that's a question that comes up from time to time. Um, But putting that all together, Jesus taught his disciples to pray to the father uh we can certainly do no wrong by doing what he said to do we the apostles taught people to pray to the father through jesus they did it themselves we have their example the proof text often used simply don't hold up under investigation and the conclusion is that we really don't have any authority for praying to jesus we need to pray to the father in the name of jesus all right i
1: think we're about out of time dad thank you for the discussion tonight
2: Well, enjoyed it. Hope we've discussed some things that are helpful to people. We've covered a lot of different topics, and uh, we appreciate the input of those who uh, emailed us tonight. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest
1: in biblical topics. If you're listening to this program in the archived recorded version, if you had a Bible question or comment that you'd like to have discussed, send it in anytime to questions at collegeview.com. We can address your question on a future program. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.